I'm glad you're here. We're starting a series. We started last week into the book of James uh, in the Bible, in the New Testament. Um, it's an epistle that was written by Jesus' half-brother. Uh, Joseph and Mary were his parents, along with Jude was one of the other brothers of Jesus who wrote uh, uh, books in the New Testament that we get to benefit from. They wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and they gave direction to us. They're writing uh, to the early church and to those beginning uh, uh, believers, followers of Jesus. And James, of course, became uh, probably the primary leader of the church in Jerusalem. He was a prominent leader. And so he is an authoritative voice for us and to us. And he has practical information. Uh, the series is called Faith That's Not Dead. Uh, James over and over reiterates that faith that isn't put into action in your life is really useless. And so we don't want to be Christians who are just Christians because we live in America and we grew up going to church and that's just who we are. We want to be Christians who can be identified by how we live. You know, the famous question, if you were put on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you, right? That's, that's how we want to think through this series. And it can be a little challenging, um, but again, don't hate the messenger, all right? It's God's word that we're digging into. Um, last week, we looked at the first 15, 16 verses, and, uh, and we um, just uh, started out of the gate uh, into, um, into this book. And this week, we'll finish up the chapter. The big idea this week is not just listeners, not just listeners. Um, again, as a church, our mission statement is that we're a church on mission, and our mission is to raise up disciple makers. Disciple makers share the gospel where they live, work, and play. And so that's our mission as a church. And disciple makers being our goal for you, we believe that Jesus calls every follower of his to become a believer, a disciple who can reproduce themselves. And so we just call those disciple makers. Disciple makers put their faith into action. How many of you did uh, do New Year's resolutions? I'm willing to lift your hand up. Anybody? 44% of our U.S. Americans, our um, neighbors and friends, 44% of us make New Year's resolutions. 13%, 13 of those, right? 13% of those 44% uh, make their new New Year's resolution something to do with exercise or fitness or their health, okay? And so that involves some gym memberships. 12% uh, of gym memberships are purchased in the month of January, all right? And so that by far is the largest percentage for the year for gyms. Uh, the frustrating news for gym owners is that within five months, 80% of those new membership uh, owners have dropped off and have quit their memberships. The second Sunday in February, which is also, or the second Saturday, excuse me, second Saturday in February, which is Super Bowl Sunday weekend, is known statistically as fall off the wagon day, where most people who started off the year, uh, here's the truth that why is it that we do this? Well, we want to see results. We want to see improvement in our lives. And sometimes we run into a spot where we're like, man, I need to do some work. I need to uh, uh, make some changes. And so we start off the year. It's a, it's a great time to start new things. But, uh, but the truth is that I think part of the reason many of us don't stick with it is we don't see the results as quickly as we'd like to. And so we get frustrated. And as a pastor, as a church leader, having worked in the church for much of my life, I do see some of the same behaviors amongst Christians. 
we want to see God work in our lives. You know, the truth is, if we don't uh, actively pursue our faith, if we're not actively working to grow, we have a tendency to atrophy. And when we atrophy, when we don't pay attention to our faith or we don't put it on the front burner in a, in a position where, hey, this is important and I'm working at this, what happens is problems start to show up in our lives. Just like health issues, when we don't pay attention to our health, in our spiritual health, we start to see problems. Maybe it shows up as a problem in our marriage. And it wasn't really a big deal. It seemed like everything was working fine. And then all of a sudden, things come to a head and it's a big problem. We're like, how did that happen? Uh, sometimes it's with our kids. Maybe as parents, we're trying to uh, raise our children. And all of a sudden, we got an issue. And it's like, where did that come from? I thought we were doing good. Sometimes it shows up in maybe some depression or anxiety. Uh, uh, some of those kind of uh, mental, emotional health issues where all of a sudden we're struggling. We got anxious thoughts and we're, we're nervous and concerned. It's like, wow, what's going on? Maybe it's uh, bad habits. And uh, we thought we had those dealt with. But all of a sudden, we're right back where we started not long ago. I think we can trace all those things, as, as Christians anyway, back to the root cause of, am I, are we actively living our faith? Are we putting into practice what we're learning? And James is all about that. So he does step on our toes, <laughs> but we need it. We need to be pushed at times to go, hey, we can't just coast in this deal, it doesn't work. See, we have a sin nature that pulls us in the wrong direction. We have a world culture that is actively working to recruit you to do the things that it wants you to do. And those things are in opposition to the work of God in your life. And so uh, this week, as we engage this last half of the chapter, chapter one, we, we, again, our theme, not just listeners, means we got to put into practice what we're learning. And the first thing that we come to in our passage today is that uh, James, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is going to tell us to put into practice right thinking about God. Right thinking about God. Let's read James 1, starting in verse 16. So don't be misled... My dear brothers and sisters, whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession." Don't be misled. Well, what is, he, what is he telling us not to be misled about? Well, last week, uh, if you were here, Pastor Luke taught uh, the first bit of this chapter, which talks about temptation. And, and there was a practice in the church among these early believers that God is tempting me. And so James makes it clear that God is not the source of temptation. And so he says, don't be misled. Don't be confused about what in your life is in your life as a result of God, that he is actively putting things in your life. I don't know about you, but I've certainly been tempted at times to think that the source of problems, the source of issues, might be coming from God. The problems in my life, maybe God is punishing me or judging me for something, and so I've been tempted to think that way at times. I've certainly met a lot of people that have had those thoughts, and yet James here is saying, 
No. Good and perfect things come into your life from God. If you're thinking calamity, difficulty, uh, trials, right, evil, (laughs) that it somehow has its source in God, then you're going to be thinking incorrectly about God, about who he is, and about what he's trying to do in your life. Jesus reiterated in Matthew 9 when he teaches the people how to pray. He reminds them that God is a good father. He says, uh, basically paraphrase that you as human parents, if your kids ask for a loaf of bread, are you going to give them a rock? You know, if they ask for something to eat, are you going to give them a snake? No. So as sinful parents, we're not perfect, but we want to give our kids good things. He's like, how much more does your father in heaven want to give his children good things? So if we're going to get our thinking straight, what are some of the good things that come from God? Well, we know that salvation comes from God. Forgiveness for our sins. Justification or being made right before God. Those things come from God. How about healing? Restoration? The relationship with God. God brings those things into our lives. Those come from him. How about wisdom and truth? We know the scriptures are a source of wisdom and truth for us. If we're hearing a voice in our heads that we're answering to, we know it's God's voice when it's filled with wisdom and truth. Okay, that's how we can identify his voice. The Bible teaches us that provision comes from God. Food, clothing, shelter. We're not to worry about those things because our Heavenly Father is paying attention to our needs and He will supply them. How about our family, relationships, community? Jesus created the church in part for us to have fellowship, to have relationships. These things come from God. How about life itself, the very breath that we breathe? It's a gift from God. Fun, laughter, those things come from God. Those are some of the good things. What are some of the things that God gets blamed for that oftentimes I've heard people say, uh, God is punishing me. Maybe he's punishing me. Maybe I'm doing something wrong because I'm experiencing these things. How about sickness, physical health? Falling on hard times financially, having financial struggles. I've certainly heard people saying, man, I must be doing something wrong. God must be upset with me because I'm struggling. How about getting rejected, having a relationship that didn't work? I was pursuing it. I thought that was my future. This person is going to be my spouse and then it falls apart. God must be against me or that would have worked. How about the loss of friends or relationships? How about uh, children rebelling or going astray or having struggles? All those things I've heard people say, maybe uh, God is against me because this is happening. James would say to us, I think it's important for us to think correctly about God. Evil does not come from God. God's not against you. He's not working to bring harm into your life. That's why when there is a trial, which earlier in this chapter James talks about, when there is a struggle, guess what God does with that? He's not the source of it. That's clear. Even look at Job, right? Where Job faced all kinds of calamity. God was not the one doing those things to him. But God uses those things. Trials are for a purpose. I listened to a good sermon this week, and I was reminded that ahead of me this year are a lot of problems and difficulties. It's going to be a tough year. I can count on that, but there's a purpose in it. There's a reason for those trials and struggles. They are to grow us. And so we've got to get our thinking about God correct. 
When we think that evil is coming from God, the problems are coming from God, we get jaded, we get, we get a, a little angry, we get a little, um, our view of God isn't accurate. And I've heard in the last few years that there aren't any atheists in the world, people that don't believe in God. There's only angry theists, right? They believe in God, just angry at him because God, you're doing stuff to me. You did things to me. And, and blame gets put on God where it doesn't belong. And so we want to make our thinking about God correct. When our thinking is correct, then we can react to other people correctly. And honestly, when our thought life is correct and based in the truth, it turns into our behaviors being good, which results in feeling the way we want to feel. So often we pursue feeling good um, as our goal, and really feeling good or feeling joy, feeling happiness, those are a result of how we live, and it all starts with what we think. And so there's a little uh, a chart that I've got, a little progression of how it really works. And uh, the way things work in us is what we believe turns into our behavior or what we do, which results in how we feel. That is the progression of what happens in our life. And so I want to remind us of that and make sure as we start this year, we're not looking to feel good primarily, do things that make us feel good. We want to believe accurately about what is right and what is true. And so we want to put into practice good thinking about God, correct thinking about God. The next thing that James uh, leads us into that we need to put into practice is we need to put into practice anger management. Anger management. Um, some of us, uh, and by us, I don't mean me. I mean, I'm just saying some of you maybe struggle with anger issues, right? Um, they're kind of prominent in our culture. And you may not realize that in the New Testament, this is dealt with. James touches on this problem. So it's good to know it isn't new with us. James chapter 1, look in verse 19. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So get rid of all filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts. For it has the power to save your souls. You have two ears and one mouth, right? Anybody else get taught that? You got two ears and one mouth so you can listen twice and talk once. That wasn't very good taking that advice. Two ears and one mouth. Uh, James says it kind of interestingly. He says, be quick to listen. Quick to listen. Are you a person who's developed the character and the maturity to be interested in what another person has to say more than you're interested in what you have to say? Like how many times do you get in a conversation and instead of listening, you're thinking about what you're going to say, what's your reply going to be, right? And so you've, you've just disconnected with what is being communicated with you. So important that we become people who, like James says, we're quick to listen. We go through life with an interest in others. We have a desire to understand where others, other people are coming from. And, and we're, we're, we're walking through life with that focus, being quick to listen, focused on others. As a, as a team, Mitchell Breen Church, our uh, staff and, and pastors and everything, we look at the next year and this past week, we were talking about that and talking about some goals we should have as a team and how should we look at this next year? What should we be focused on? And one of the things that came to the surface, which I thought was really good, is to slow down a little bit and listen 
and, and be willing to connect with people and listen to what they have to say. And, and with the thought being that, uh, that many of us are struggling and, and that really what can help a lot of times is just to listen. At least it starts there. And so I thought it was a great goal. And so uh, this past week, after we got done with that uh, uh, team meeting, um, Pastor Luke and Pastor Ken and myself, we got away uh, just on an overnight to plan the year in terms of preaching and uh, like to get uh, the year planned out um, uh, at the beginning of the year. And so we got away on an overnight. And, and uh, as we were there, um, we spent the first evening planning and everything. We got up the next morning and went down to get breakfast. And there was a gal in there uh, who was helping to serve. And she engaged um, Pastor Luke and Pastor Ken in a conversation and started talking to them and asking them about what we were doing. And pretty soon she found out, well, we were from a church and, and we're trying to do some planning there. And so she was like, oh, wow. And so um, that led to her sharing some spiritual, uh, some of her spiritual journey and some stories from her life. And, and so we we're getting to know her. And I just watched uh, Pastor Luke and Pastor Ken just listen and, and ask questions and keep listening and keep asking questions. It was really good, and, and it resulted in a really good conversation and found out that uh, she had grown up in a homestead family, pioneer family, near where my wife grew up, and so we kind of had a connection there. And Pastor Luke also has some family connection in that area to the east of the state, and so it was just good, and, and she was a really sweet lady and had a good time. And then Pastor Luke at the end of it said, hey, can we pray with you? And uh, I just thought, wow, what a great example. These guys are living out already what we talked about a day before of how we uh, should live our year. Uh, Taking the time to listen. Be slow or quick to listen. And then be slow to speak. James says, be slow to speak. Oftentimes we get those reversed, right? And, And this results in us saying things at times we wish you could reel back in. I know you've never said anything like that, but maybe the person next to you has. Maybe you have somebody in your life you know and love. You, they say things all the time. You're like, you shouldn't have said that, right? Filters, right? Get some filters up. And so uh, we struggle with that. We are slow to listen, quick to speak. James says it should be the opposite. Are you able to respond slowly, thoughtfully? Again, it's a sign of maturity and wisdom um, that uh, certainly I need more of in my life. Maybe you do too, where we, we're, we're just slowing down a bit. We're really interested in another person, and we want to respond in a way that is good. Sometimes we need to maybe bite our tongues, you know. Um, I think I heard a pastor say one time, bite your tongue till it bleeds if you have to, so you don't say the wrong thing when you shouldn't. We don't always control, in fact, hardly ever can we control what comes at us from others. But the scriptures teach us that we have a responsibility in how we respond. And so we like to say that your response is your responsibility. Be slow to speak. And then he says slow to get angry. And again, this is more difficult for some of us than others. Seems like some of us um, struggle with that, with with anger issues. They're kind of common in our culture. Seems like there's a lot of people ready to pop off, uh, spout off, uh, express anger and frustration. There's places in our world where you might find this youth sports usually on the sidelines uh, with, with the parents sometimes getting a little worked up, um, sometimes on some work sites uh, and in some businesses, anger seems to be there prevalent. Some of our homes, some marriages, anger is an issue. And so um, where does it come from? You know, physical pain can lead to issues with anger. Um, I think hurt is a major source of anger. 
And a lot of us are walking through life with unresolved issues. And so anger bubbles to the surface pretty quickly. Um, some of us just getting hungry can make us hangry. Uh, we, sometimes it's control and manipulation and a leadership role. And I need people to do things. I need certain outcomes and it's not working. And so I get frustrated and use anger to try to get people where they need to be. It isn't that there's no purpose in anger. It can be a positive thing to use at the right time in the right way. Jesus went into the temple. He saw them. Uh, they turned the temple into the wrong thing. And so he made a whip. And I imagine he was a little frustrated with them as he chased them out of the temple with a whip, right? It doesn't say, however, that he was enraged. It doesn't say that he was cruel. It doesn't say that he was harsh. Passion is the word used by his disciples to describe his concern for the house of God. He said, you've turned the house of God into a place it wasn't meant to be. It's supposed to be a house of prayer. And yet it, it's turned into something different. And so there is a proper use for anger. Righteous anger is something that we see in scripture. But again, never cruel. Never harsh. Rage does not fit into it. And so in the life of a believer, we are controlled. We're controlled. And we're under the control of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Mary and I live on a little acreage, just a little spot. Um, and uh, so we have some projects that come up every once in a while. And, and Mary affectionately describes herself as the hired hand because I'm usually the one leading the project for some reason. I don't know. And, and I know uh, what we're supposed to do. If I know, if anybody knows, I know. And my knowledge of it is weak sometimes. But I have this idea at times. We've been married for 32 years. And so I believe because I know in my mind what is supposed to be happening that she should know as well. And so uh, we get into it and something happens and there's just moments where I might express a little frustration. And in those moments, she very lovingly and kindly reminds me that if I want to continue to enjoy her employment, which is very reasonable, that I better watch the way I speak to her, maybe even look at her <clears throat> at times. And so, um, hey, maybe you know what I'm talking about. Uh, <clears throat> listen, uh, we really do have to watch how we interact with each other. Um, <laughs> James is trying to say the word of God has the ability to bring life to us, uh, to restore and change who we are inside. And so we need, to, we need to be working not just to hear and listen to the truth, but again, if we're going to see our character change, <clears throat> if we're going to become different people, then we need to put it into practice. And so the next thing we see in this passage that we need to implement is that we need to put into practice God's word. God's word is life for us. It brought us to life. And God's word continues to sustain our lives. And if we listen and apply God's word, it has the power to completely transform who we are. Look in verse 22 of James chapter 1. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. 
But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says, and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Don't just listen to God's word. Do what it says. The crux of the passage is here. Everything else is fitting around it, reinforces it. James has been touching on issues that we might pay attention to. We might go, oh yeah, I've got an issue there. Okay, that makes sense. And now he really drives home the main point, which is in all of our lives, if we claim to follow Jesus, if we claim to be Christians, then there needs to be an application of what the word says into our lives. He basically says here that if you claim to have faith, I believe in Jesus, I've trusted in him, but you're not actively applying the word of God into your life, that you have a worthless faith. It is of no value to you. And which you say, well, wait a minute, uh, it's fire insurance. Like I know I'm going to heaven when I die. Yeah, but guess what? Jesus didn't just die so that we could go to heaven. That is not the only purpose. He died so that our lives could be changed and transformed here on earth. And so we need to uh, be mindful of this and, and remember that maturity in, uh, in our faith is not in direct proportion to what we know. Uh, it isn't. It, it is what we know is important. It plays a part. But maturity is really tied to applying what we know. And so, yes, we need to grow in understanding and wisdom and knowledge. But it is only as we apply that knowledge that we become mature. James says it's silly as something like this, that you would go look in the mirror, see yourself, walk away and forget what you saw. Now, that is ridiculous, okay? Uh, Some of us, there's two tendencies for uh, human beings as they look in the mirror and walk away. Some of us remember the things we don't like that we see in the mirror. Some of us see only things we do like uh, in the mirror, but all of us remember what we see. Whether we like it or not, we remember it. It's virtually impossible, right, to forget. He's like, that would just be ridiculous. And so in the same way, to look into God's word, to examine the scriptures, to look carefully into it, and to walk away and not apply it would be crazy. Hey, um, the truth is, though, as much as many of us are trying to do this, we're trying to apply God's word into our lives, we're trying to grow, We do have something called blind spots. Uh, We have spots we can't see. Now, uh, this is a participation part of the message, okay? So we're all awake, right? Look up here. You got got to participate here. So I want you to do something. may feel a little funny, but there's a reason for this. Stick both of your hands out. Put your thumbs up, just like you're going, hey, everything's okay today, pastor. Yeah, come on. I need to see those thumbs. Come on now. Okay, so we got our thumbs out. Now, here's the hard part. You've got to close your left eye. Close your left eye. Somebody last night was like, I can't close my left eye. I mean, you could do your right eye if you got to reverse it, but whatever. I don't have patches for you. Close your left eye. With your right eye that's open, look at your left thumb. Left eye's closed. Right eye's looking at the left thumb. Okay? Now, your right thumb is what's in play here. You want to move your right thumb towards your left thumb slowly. And if you'll notice, there's a place where your thumb will disappear. It just goes out of just the tip of your thumb, not your whole hand. It's pretty close. Like mine's about a foot away. 
Is it working? All the women in the office could not get this to work. The men in the office could. I, I don't know what that's about. Not making any, I'm not making any conclusions from that, but <clears throat> maybe women don't have blind spots. You know? It's a physical anomaly. Hey, hey listen, uh, our, our, our retina, where it attaches to our iris, I think that's what it is. Uh, I'm not an eye uh, person, but, but there's a spot in there where, where our eye connects. We don't have light sensors there. And so there really is a blind spot, a spot where you're not going to be able to see. Spiritually, we have blind spots too. We have areas that we just can't see. David said in Psalm 139, search me, O God. Know my heart. See if there's any wicked way in me. Right? It's kind of like that idea. There's times we just go, God, I'm trying here. (laughs) I can't see everything. I'm busy. I'm under pressure. I, I just, I know there's things that are probably are wrong and don't belong there, but I need your help. Now, sometimes God's put somebody in your life, maybe a spouse, can really be helpful. If you'd listen, <laughs> right? If we'd listen. Uh, sometimes they're the person that can help us see those blind spots. But the truth is, obedience is the path to blessing. So often we want God to bless our lives as we live them in sin, <laughs> As we live in disobedience to him, it's like, God, bless my life. Uh, Remove this uh, difficulty. Take it away. Keep me from any problems. But meanwhile, I want to maintain control of my life and do what I want. And of course, that doesn't work. Um, The Bible makes it clear. And James says here that God wants to bless us. It is through obedience to him that blessing comes. Can I tell you that the blessing you need is not to have your circumstances change and all the problems go away in your life. That's not what you need. The blessing you need is to see your life, your problems, your difficulties through the lens of God's truth and to recognize that God wants to use those things to shape you and grow you and help you. And again, he's not trying to destroy you, but he's trying to help you mature. God is trying to help us grow. That is his purpose because that brings goodness into our lives that again, cannot be taken away because it's not based in our circumstances. The last thing we see in this passage that will happen as we transition to putting these things into practice, primarily putting into practice God's word, that we will be able to put into practice the final thing here, which is real care for others. Put into practice real care for others. James kind of drives the point home here in the last few verses. Verse 26 and 27, he says, If you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, You're fooling yourself, and your religion is worthless. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God, uh, in sight of God the Father, means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. If you claim to be religious, uh, remember James is working with um, a a bunch of Jewish people in Jerusalem, (laughs) the hotbed of Judaism. These are the elite of the elite. Uh, these people know their religion and they got it figured out and they know all the formalities. They know how everything's supposed to go. And so uh, they're paying attention probably to James as the pastor. Does he do everything right? You know? And he goes, if you claim to be religious and you got the religion thing down, but you can't control what you say, you're fooling yourself. Your religion isn't worth anything. And of course it's very harsh and very direct, but again, he's trying to speak to the purpose of religion which isn't just to get external stuff right. It's to transform and change who we are. And so he says, 
Real religion that God the Father cares about is going to change who you care for, the people that you pay attention to. You're going to care for people that can't do anything back to help you. You're going to have an awareness of the needs in the world around you and do something about it. And then he says you're going to work, and it's a battle, right, not to be corrupted by the world that we live in. And the world has a corrupting force and impact on us. And so we really see as a church, if we're going to move towards maturity, and if we're going to move to the application of what we hear, put it to practice in our lives, there's some things that we need to do. And one of those things I really firmly believe has to do with serving and thinking about other people. Jesus created the church to be a place where everyone serves. He really designed us that way. He gives us a gift and, and abilities and told us to work as a team and work together. And there's work to do. And so uh, it's a fantastic place to learn to serve and to get our focus off ourselves. And so we make it pretty easy here to get involved and to serve. We have uh, getting in God's word. And so this year we have read through the Bible in a year challenge, right? And we've started and don't worry, you're a few days off. Just start today and then finish up next year in January. You're just a few days uh, behind, but read through the Bible in a year. On the Bible um, app that a lot of you use, the Version app, you know, we have our notes on there for the sermon. You can follow along and you can even make notes. But that we also have on there that uh, plan, read through the Bible in a year plan. And so we want to get in God's word and kind of challenge ourselves to be reading. And then we have core classes and discipleship classes that are starting next week, most of them. We have a class going through the book of Romans. We have a women's study going through the gospel of John. We have, we've got a bunch of small groups, uh, uh, men's groups and women's groups for discipling and growing. Getting into a group and getting engaged around God's word, right? And then having some accountability, which a lot of us need, all of us need, to actually be able to grow. All these things will help us move forward in our faith. We'll put into practice what God word, God's word says. I don't want you and I to live in a place of self-deception. It's probably one of the worst things we could be immersed in is to deceive ourselves. It's one thing to be tricked by outside forces, by the world, by the enemy. But James is literally challenging us and stressing that we don't fool ourselves into thinking that we're good, we're doing good, but we're really not. And so I just want to encourage you as a church to move towards growth, to move towards what we really believe in here, which is life change, transformation. Now, we have a vision meeting coming up the first Sunday in February. Super Bowl Sunday, or no, before Super Bowl Sunday. Um, and so we share, we started this last year, and we share from the ministry leaders, talk about the things that are happening in our church. And, and there's so much encouraging things happening in our church. There's miracles happening. There's life being changed. And so I want to encourage you to come to that meeting. It's, uh, it'll be a Sunday afternoon, that Sunday afternoon, and we'll have pie afterwards. It'll be fun. Just be encouraged. And, and, and it helps to motivate me oftentimes to hear what's happening in other people's lives. Let's be a church, let's be people who are moving in obedience. We're putting into application in our lives what we're hearing. God, thank you for your word. You pour it into us, you breathe it into us. Your word is life. Our life comes from you. And Jesus, you came to die on a cross to pay for our sins so that we could be brought back to life. So we could follow you once again and we could move into the place that uh, you want us to be, which is a place where our lives reflect you. 
where the world around us can see that we're different because of how we live, not because of what we say. And so I pray that you continue to do your work of transformation in us. Help us to humbly accept your word being planted in our hearts and to listen and to apply so we can grow. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.